On today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are talking to Big Ten Network analyst, uh, 1989 Defensive Player of the Year in the Big Ten, 1989 Final Four participant. His name is Stephen Bardo, and he joined us, Tate, to, uh, to, to talk about the 89 Illinois team, offer his thoughts on Big Ten basketball as a whole. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a great discussion. I love talking to anybody older than me that's from Big Ten country. I could talk to them all day. Yeah, we should say this. Uh, we like to pander to the old Big East, but today is an old P- Big Ten episode, and Stephen mm-hmm. came on, and he wanted to share his thoughts about the old Big Ten. We want to talk about the flying Illini. We want to talk about Illinois basketball as a whole. We want to figure out why everyone in Chicago does not go to Illinois. That is the biggest question, yeah. <laughs> and he breaks it all down for us, so that's great. That is, uh, I, I love that anytime anybody from Illinois comes on the show, I can ask, why don't Chicago people go to Illinois? And, anytime, and everyone's heated. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. I got an answer for you. At anytime anyone from Indiana is on the show that didn't go to IU, I just ask them, why didn't you? And then they have a great story. And yes. that's, uh, that's, <laughs> it makes it very easy for me. I just put the ball on a tee and let them swing away. Um, we also, though, have to talk today about Zion Williamson, Tate. Mm. It is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, Zion Williamson may have received impermissible benefits to go to. That is the, that is the story, Tate. That that is the story that has surfaced here. <laughs> Wait, what? What's happening? Who saw this coming? What's going on? Okay, we'll look um, into that. Yeah, we're going to talk about this new Zion development, which is absolutely not going to go anywhere. It's going to get mm-hmm. thrown out in court. He's not going to have to testify or, or say anything. It's going to be a huge disappointment. But we're in the middle of a pandemic, and there's not a ton of content. And this is exciting, and uh, maybe it won't. There's a sliver of maybe. hope that maybe he'll have to testify under oath, whether or not he got the bag drop for him to go to Duke. So we're going to have some fun talking about that today. Also, Dick Vitale uh, is is firing off some tweets, Tate, and, and is doing the same thing of, of giving us some content here to talk about because Dickie V has some sources and uh, seems to think that some things are about to happen. So we're going to... And they're usually right. They're not yeah. always right, but they're usually right. They're usually, usually being the, the operative <laughs> word here. So we're going to parse through all that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about The Last Dance a little bit, the, the most recent episodes, which were yep. probably the best of the series so far, I'd say. Um, so we'll, we'll do our best to break all that down. But first... Woody Durham. All right, it's Monday afternoon. We're back. Uh, more podcast. Tate, I want to start by by saying um, I I saw a tweet from Rostein that uh, it, it absolutely broke my heart. Not not because Rostein did anything wrong, or it's, mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to to get you going um, more than you should be here. He just said like the way he worded it is he he tweeted some stat and he said something about the strength of schedule of teams from last season. And just reading those two words last season was devastating, and it really just like sunk in that like. By last season, he means the season that we this season, yeah, yeah, the season this that season. is never going to be played. Yeah, and and just seeing the words last season, it just really hit me that we're two months into this. The NCAA tournament's not happening. I don't know why, but uh, I was just yeah, I was just scrolling through Twitter this morning and I saw the words last season. I was like, damn, that is absolutely brutal. So, uh, yeah, I will say yeah. this: the only connotation that could be worse is if it was actually that was the last season. Actually, (laughs) so let's fingers crossed. So it doesn't get any worse than it just being last season. Well, the way college basketball is going, um, it it is it is no no longer it is not long for this world. College basketball, more guys go to the G League. Uh, we we could be headed that way. Um, let's talk about Zion though. We have to talk about this. Uh, so Zion Williamson's former marketing agent is suing him. Uh, but, but Zion's like suing the marketing agent. It's, it's a very, I can't believe I didn't know about this. First of all, I want to start there. Like 
Did were you aware that Zion Williamson was in a legal battle, Tate? I was aware that last summer, uh, when we were talking to one another, I remember at Summer League, maybe there was this story that came out that Zion Williamson was going to be sued over worth uh, like over a hundred million dollars worth in damages from some PR company that claimed. Uh, that they mm-hmm. had the rights to Zion and uh, he no longer was going to sign with them because he signed with CAA. There was some sort of story like that. But then everyone said, it's crazy. It's someone just making it up. Um, well, the person that was making it up, quote unquote, was Sharonda Sampson. And uh, it, and basically, admit is the word. The operative word, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the operative word in this situation is, is admit. And they're saying, uh, Zion, your stepfather, everyone involved in this process, admit that adidas wanted to pay you to go here admit that nike uh also wanted to to get you to go to duke uh admit that duke helped facilitate this admit that uh you may have gotten a house admit that you may have gotten some money admit all these things um and when you read all the admits first off you have to think yourself wow i didn't know this is how subpoenas work or whatever yeah if the bag if the bag does fit you must admit (laughs) you must admit you must admit and uh and they go hard on this um it seems like the, the national media, for the most part, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, most people seem to be over it because Zion, you know, deserves- Oh, dude, I'm more over it. I don't know, Tay, I don't know how over it you are, but I'm over it more than you. I just I, want, I, I want that to I, be I clear. You- I'm over No, I'm over it more. <laughs> no, I'm, who, whoever on Twitter is over it the most, whoever on Twitter doesn't care that Zion Williamson mm-hmm. got paid, like, I could not care any less. I care less than that person. I am the most you are the, over it, yes, least yes. care. Uh, because I'm the coolest, and that's very important that everyone realizes how over it I am, that I'm going to now do a whole thread at how over it I am. Here's 17 tweets of how over it and how how little this means to me and how good for Zion he should take all the money. And I don't care. I it, I really just don't care. I don't Okay. Care. Okay. Well, admit you're apathetic. Okay. Just admit <laughs> it. Admit you're apathetic and put oh it out Oh, my to God. The world. That is so annoying. I don't understand where – like. How did this become a thing where people do this, Tate, where, where it's like, I, I am now going to tweet how little I care, and I'm going to make this a thing where I, I make it known. <laughs> like, cool. Cool. Thank you for that. You don't care. <laughs> and like so many people, and, and, then, uh, and then the other people, I even saw Nasir Little's dad like chiming in on this, that like so many people think that the people who do care are trying to like attack Zion and, and, and bring him down. And that's not what, we're, not at all. No. And people like get off Zion's back. I don't think there's a single person on Zion's back. For even the people that like believe in the NCAA the most and like think that kids shouldn't make a dime off of anything are like they don't care the Zion. They don't care about the Zion Williamson part of it. They care about the Duke part of it. They care about the idea that Duke um when Zion Williamson committed, just when Zion Williamson committed to Duke, we did the best podcast we've ever done. We were both just incredulous that in the midst of an <laughs> FBI investigation that Duke would, would have the audacity to sign the top three recruits who all kind of played <laughs> the same position. <laughs> and we did the podcast at the ringer at the time. And we were both just like, like I, I didn't even pretend to like be a professional analyst whatsoever. I was like, this is the no. most absurd shit I've ever seen in my life. And no one is calling them out on this. And we got ridiculed for it by a lot of Duke fans. And they were like, you, you have no evidence. And they're still going to say that we have no evidence. And it, it, I, whatever. The point is, Tate, <laughs> We don't care about Zion. Uh, we don't care that the like. We don't need the white knights to come to Zion's defense because nobody is attacking Zion. The people that are attacking Duke University and Coach K and this idea that like everyone else is doing it and Duke is doing it the right way. Um, yeah, I think people are just over that and they're like, stop putting this man on a pedestal. 
I knew that it was officially on a different level when I, you know, I just, I, before the show, I, here, here's a full disclosure. I will sometimes just like, well, I have a topic point and it'll say something like as simple as Zion Williamson. I'll say to myself, what are the top storylines for Zion Williamson currently and presently based on, you know, what people are saying? So I look up the top headline that pops up and it's perfect because this is where we are. Golf Digest, obviously uh, very in the loop about college basketball. Here's your headline. The new Zion Williamson scandal is the NCAA's nightmare. Golf Digest. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where we are. It, it has become the national lexicon of conversation to say college basketball is dead. So far so that Golf Digest is like, let's jump on it. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's almost like the GOAT debate, you know, with like LeBron and MJ. Even if you're like a cooking show, someone will be like, well, who do yeah. you think's better, MJ or Jordan? Like MJ or LeBron? And then they'll have like a little argument. It's like, there's some Yeah, it's a cooking you. show where you, you burn your casserole and you pull it out and you're like, wow, this casserole is... J.R. Smith in game one. Yeah. <laughs> This casserole is as dead as college basketball. Oh, my God. Anyway, we'll be back right after that. <laughs> exactly. So that's where we are, and uh, and that's why you say it. You said it perfectly. Like, this is not about Zion. Uh, people want it to be about Zion because Zion has a LeBron effect where you throw his name out there. People are interested. Oh, what's going on? It's a Zion scandal. It's not a Zion scandal. It's a here's exactly the game plan, right? We've joked about it a million times. Here's the game plan. Zion Williamson, his stepdad seems to be shopping his services to play college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shoe the shoe companies that have been so prevalent in all the FBI cases that we've seen, uh, they are also involved here, allegedly. Um, and it, it, it all speaks to what college basketball is. Uh, it is Nike and Adidas bidding for the top players to send them to the top blue blood. Uh, we've joked about it a million times. You mentioned that podcast. When we stopped that podcast, people were like, you know, that, that could be defamation. It could be, you know, all these other things. But in reality, it was just reality. Yeah, it is what it is. Um, there are reasons that certain kids go to certain schools and there are certain influencers in place and they've been outed by the FBI, allegedly. <laughs> but Jeff D'Angelo <laughs> botched the tapes. So. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, come on, Jeff, come on, Jeff. Jeff, you botched the tape. Release the tape. Admit it. Admit it, Jeff. Come You're on, Jeff. Botched the tape. Um, no, so the reason people care is not uh, – like, obviously, uh. people hate Duke. Like, Duke is the most hated program in college basketball. We know this. We did the fan bracket at, at Fox, and, and Duke lost in the first round to Lehigh because so many people rally against Love Duke. Love Lehigh. Um, yes. There's definitely an element of that. I think – Another element of all this and, and why people are getting so excited, because I can't reiterate it enough, it has nothing to do with Zion in the sense mm-hmm. that like people want Zion to be punished or we want to, to you know, kind of we, we want this to tarnish Zion's legacy whatsoever. No, we're not. We don't want it to tarnish the individual Zion Williamson's legacy at all. What we want to have happen beyond the reason for hating Duke Tate, I think, is that Mike Krzyzewski is sort of the patriarch of college basketball. Like he is the winningest coach of all time, obviously the most notable name. His his resume speaks for itself. He sits atop of his throne of college basketball. And so many people want to see the system turned on top of its head. That's all we want because um, it's, you know, for all the reasons that we've beaten to the ground a million times about players not getting paid and, and all that stuff. Uh, so, but, but, but along the way, like Duke has always been able to say, we do it the right way. We don't, we don't play that sort of stuff. And so to have an example of where Zion Williamson, let's say, is getting paid, and if it's not Zion Williamson, whoever it may be at Duke, I think so many people want Duke to fall or, the, or, or Mike Krzyzewski to not be as clean as we think he is so that the whole system, so that the people at the NCAA have to stop, take a step back and be like, oh my God, if that man is involved 
and this whole underground scheme of, of Jeff D'Angelo's and meetings on private yachts and, and God knows what else is going on here. If Maestroszewski is living in that world, then that means we have to just redo this entire system. And mm-hmm. that, that's like the fastest way to reform, even though we're like kind of already on the path to reform with the name and image likeness thing. Um, the fastest way to reform is Coach K, is, is it some scandal to come out that like the guy that we thought, the guy that is the patriarchy of this entire model, the guy that like we've exalted to be like the shining example of how to do things the right way, as it turns out, is not as squeaky clean as we thought. Shit, we better scrap this system and come up with a new one. And I think that there's there's a lot of that going on too. So I don't know. But the, the people that, that are rolling their eyes saying they don't care, like, okay, cool. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for chiming <laughs> in on that. Yeah. And, and, and move along, sir. Move along. Uh, and, and that's, yeah, no, you mentioned that, that, uh, that coach K patriarch status, right? Uh, what we need right now is a man who's not afraid to call anybody out mm-hmm. in the system. A man that looked at 11 championships, scoffed and said, I have no respect for that. Man. <laughs> and that of course is a man by the name of Bob Knight, Bob a man Knight, that, yeah. that chance to the crowd defense, a man that mentored the patriarch of the game mm-hmm. that I think if you showed him the tapes right now, if you showed Bob Knight, the current tapes of coach cases, 2010, let's say 2009, 2010, if you showed him those tapes, he would have no respect for that man. And that's because that's because he got in the mud, Mark Titus. Do you do you think Knight is the only guy that Kay fears in this world? Yes, that like he, he's his college coach, and he's yes. his, yeah. He, 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 he is terrified that he will turn heel, but the good news is that he can't turn heel because he already <laughs> did that and already turned on him. So it's impossible. It's impossible. To the larger point, nothing's going to happen here. Not even because I'm cynical, <laughs> pessimistic, but because like basically my understanding of all this is like the marketing, the agent. Um, is basically just trying to throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks with Zion. Like, I think there might actually be a case, but this part of it is not it, it, like it, all, all it is, is just this like, is, this is salacious headline. Yeah. 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 It, it's a chase. It's a chase to get attention to the case to hopefully get the case settled for a larger yeah. sum. Yeah, all the, all the right. agent is doing is like, it, like no court has ordered Zion Williamson to do anything. So all the, all this, all that's happened is they're saying they, they've presented something and said, yeah. Judge, will you please declare that Zion Williamson has to testify? And what's gonna we're gonna get the headline in like a week probably that's like judge declares no. And we'll be right here talking about it and you'll and you'll be <laughs> listening, hopefully, because we love we love next it. week and, on uh, Titus and Tate. <laughs> there you there you have it. <laughs> but uh, that, that's where the thing is headed, and the Duke fans oh, are going to be like, "You guys can't prove anything. You, it, it's irresponsible journalism for you to pretend like there's anything here." Um, just because there was evidence that that Zion was being shopped to Kansas, and then ultimately didn't go to Kansas, doesn't mean that Duke made a better offer than Kansas. It means that he liked Duke more. Um, I don't know. We 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 have to say what we have to say one nice thing before we get out of here. Uh, okay. I, I just have to point out in the admit, you know, all the admit, you know, clauses that they had. We have to admit that it is pretty cool that Zion got paid by Nike and Adidas, and Adidas to wear shoes at Duke. Like both those people, it's amazing. Yeah, like I mean, playing both sides of that. Like Lee Anderson, his stepdad, who's accused of all this stuff, he was getting paid from Adidas. Uh, the the Sharonda was getting paid uh, from from Nike, and at the same time, Zion Williamson was going to blow out a Nike shoe and have the biggest story of the season be his shoe that blew out in a battle for him, you know, wearing certain shoes. Uh, it was, and guess what? He signed with Jordan. He got both of them to pay and then he signed with Jordan. 
So we all know he would have gone to Carolina if he had his own choice. This is um, so it's it's a it's a crazy thing. I think Zion's positioned in a great spot here. He's way too nice to ever do this, and it would it would sever his ties with Duke for the rest of his life. So he's not going to. But it would be so cool, and I think it would it, it would endear him to the public so much more than he already is if he did just admit it. Like he doesn't wait for a judge to tell him he has to or not. If he just came mm-hmm. out and he's like, yeah, I did it, and I liked it. I've always said this. I've always wanted a coach, uh, and Will Wade is basically going to do that it seems <laughs> yes. like but yes. i've always wanted a coach to come out like be accused of something and be like yeah i did it it felt good i did it i liked it i'll do it again mm-hmm. there's nothing like like you know some having that attitude i think zion coming out and saying that and being like yeah i took money and here's here's what i took here's how much i made i played these guys i was an adidas kid my entire life growing up living in south carolina my aau team is adidas my mm-hmm. high school team is adidas i get adidas to pay me X amount of money to go take visits to Kansas. I have Adidas thinking I'm going to Kansas. I give him the old gotcha bitch, flip it on its head. I go to Duke. I get the bag from Nike and then I side with Jordan. He's like, I'm a business mogul at, at 17 years old. Now kiss my ass, everybody. And then like, the, like he would get a standing O from all the all the all the people on Twitter that say they don't care. What's yeah, 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 yeah. They would care. They would watch that. And, they would go know. nuts, and, and that would be awesome. I, I would love for that to happen. It's never going to, but that's my dream scenario with all this. That's the best case scenario, and it would be documentary of the year if we got a Christian Dawkins like, uh, you know, documentary with you know Lee Anderson, and he explained how he played the game with Zion, and he was like, you know, we played on the same AAU team with John Morant, and basically I was like, we're getting paid to go to college, so I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> and then he like did the full story, and it was like a full on thing that'd be amazing. Uh, speaking of documentary of the year, um, a guy tweeted this earlier that he thinks the Last Dance will definitively be the documentary of the year. I don't know who's giving out that, that, that documentary. What's this guy's guess, name? I guess the Academy. Do we, do we have his name? Yeah, he's a dick, and he goes by Dick Vitale. He's oh. our dick, the greatest dick in college basketball. Uh, and he says allegations are for two major programs. Um, and this is in a Twitter Q&A, I believe, a live Twitter Q&A. Of course, everyone is on uh, live these days. If you go on Instagram, everyone is I love how accessible Q&A. Dickie V is. He's on the <laughs> Periscope. He's on the live Q&A on, on Twitter. It's, he's fantastic. Mark Titus, he is so accessible that my mother and father met him in Atlantis earlier this year. And he and my dad text about the last dance. My dad can text Dickie V. Dickie V will text him back. And God only knows how many people he is texting about the last dance and the violations that he knows about. <laughs> this will be leaked very soon, probably by my dad at the end of the day. <laughs> by the way, I, I want to say this before I forget about Dickie V because it just popped in my head. Uh, Brian Curtis, who wrote an article on The Ringer, I think, about Dickie V once upon a time, spent some time with him. I'll never forget this because he, he, he told me this and it stuck with me and I think about it all the time when I think of Dickie V, that the man never eats a single meal in his own house, eats out for every single meal. So I just wanted to pause and say thoughts and prayers to Dickie V during this pandemic. Oh I'm not sure goodness. how he got through it. Um, he doesn't cook for himself. Every single meal that he eats, apparently he leaves the house for to go eat, uh, which is evident if you follow him on Periscope or Twitter, like he's always at a restaurant, always at an Italian restaurant doing his periscopes and, and, or in the car on the way to the Italian restaurants. Uh, is that the I secret? Ha- you, you know, like when you see someone that's like lived a long time, everyone's like, what's your secret? Yeah. Like, oh, baby, I never eat at home. Olive Garden. Like, <laughs> like, how, like how much sodium does this guy have in his body? My God. No, thoughts and prayers to Dickie V, man. I don't know how he's been feeding himself, but obviously he is because he's, he's full of sustenance. He's tweeting. Um, as you said, two power conference schools are going down. No, he, what he said most recently, the one that, uh, that you sent to me, no doubt, no doubt that the NCAA will be adding to their list of schools that will receive a list of major violations soon. And then in all caps, that is a fact. 
And he's talking about these two power conference schools. He says, what has delayed the process is COVID-19. I think anybody that that reads between the lines with um, one, what's going on in the world of college basketball and and the scheme and the, the HBO documentary and all that, and two, uh, Dickie V, like which coaches are in the Dickie V army, so to speak, of like guys he will not touch the the what I, I whatever the word is the the, the group of guys that uh, that that Dickie V the Untouchables, yes, the Untouchables. There it is. <laughs> um, I think you can kind of deduce that the two schools he's speaking about, at least I, I what I have deduced is Arizona and LSU. I think yes. he's talking about Sean Miller and we'll wait. Agreed. And I think the timing of this is fantastic because we just got the Louisville notice of allegations where Patino could potentially be suspended for half a year, uh, could get a show cause penalty. At the same time, the Zion Williamson thing happens and doesn't paint Coach K in necessarily favorable light. Mm-hmm. Those are two guys that are the untouchables, yes, are in yes. the Dickie they, they, plan of – yes. I will never say a bad word about those two guys. So uh, the timing of this is hilarious that he's like, I want to draw your attention to two power conference schools. I, I doubt <laughs> the power conference schools he's talking about are Duke and Iona Tate. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a, a sneaking suspicion it's not going to be done. <laughs> I would say this. There is a chance. There is a chance that it could be Kansas in this group. There is a chance because that's a good it, point as the way that we, you but know, they already we, got their notice of allegations, right? But, yeah, okay. exactly. but, but I'm just saying at Dickie V's mind, who knows if he knows that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and also like, I, I feel like as you and I both know, the establishment in college basketball is we side with Nike. Nike has the most, we side not even the, the brand. We side with the most money. Nike has the most money. We side with Nike. So the Adidas mm-hmm. schools are always susceptible for shots and Kansas they, they've aligned with Adidas. Uh, you know, obviously, they're, they've been brought up. They've got their in away, like you said. So there's something to, to, to keep an eye on with those guys as well. My, my favorite part of this whole thing is that Dick Vitale has a source. Um, and he said, yes, my, my source is usually on the money. No shock to people in the hoops world. Use your imagination. Um, and, you know, if you were to use your imagination, I, here's an ima- yeah. let, let me imagine something. I, let me imagine. There's a kid in South Carolina who goes from <laughs> a three-star to a five-star prospect. He goes on a visit at, to North Carolina. Phil Ford uh, woos him and promises him to wear number 12 uh, at that school. He decides, I want to play at Michael Jordan School and wear Jordan shoes, and that's where I'm going to go. And then uh, someone comes in from Nike and says, how about we pay you more money to go to Duke? And that's what you do. And let me, let's just imagine that. And then he goes in, to do, and he plays with, there with, with the other top two recruits who are going to take the ball from you, <laughs> who also who also took that same deal, and and they still didn't win a title. That's a good I, imagination. I would, you have a, there, I, I would imagine that. I would imagine that happened. Uh, but that that's where we are. Dick Vitale, uh, we love him. We want him to keep tweeting. We Come on the pod, Dickie V. Yeah, yeah, please, please, just share share your source. Please share your source. Share the scoop. You you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. By the way, that the the usually being the funny word in that tweet. He's like, my source is usually on the money. <laughs> Who is it? Like, what? When were they off the money? Can you at least give this example where he's like, you? He was like, they were on the money with Nevin Shapiro, but unfortunately, Jeff D'Angelo yeah. botched the tapes. Yeah, <laughs> they had Shapiro <laughs> in Miami, but Jeff D'Angelo blew it. Like that would be good. It's like my source is usually on the money, except for that one time. Come on, Dickie V. Usually on the money is fantastic. Oh, man. Fun times in the uh, the college <laughs> basketball world. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen with any of this. Uh, but I do I do think uh, it is going to be Arizona and LSU. I think they're going to get notice of allegations. Um, but as we're learning with the Louisville thing, uh, the, the Arizona notice of allegations is going to come, and then Jeff Goodman's going to do his what does this mean post, and he's going to say no one knows. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> I don't and know. It's going to take a full year to – 
Arizona now has four months to file an, an appeal, and they're going to wait the full four months, and then the appeal gets filed. And then once that happens, it, it's a the appeal process takes up to eighteen months, and then after that, it goes to the the appeal of the appeal process. Everything you just heard Tate and I speculate about and, <laughs> and uh, recklessly throw out accusations and all that. Um, Dick Vitale did say, use your imagination. So we're off the yes. hook. And if yes. you have any complaints about tweet the, at uh, him, tweet at him because yes. that's all we're doing. We're just using our imagination. Uh, that, that's that's all we're doing here. And he gave us the okay. So should we get to our Stephen Bardo interview? Yes, of course. Let's Stephen do that. Bardo. All right. Here, here's, uh, here's our interview with Stephen Bardo. All right, joining us now is Big Ten Network college basketball analyst uh, Stephen Bardo, but more importantly, 1989 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And Stephen, I want to start here. Um, we, we were joking off air just before we started here that uh, j- just this idea of you of you being an, a little older, we should say. I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Don't want to. <laughs> it's <do> okay. That. <laughs> but you're in your second act, we'll say, as uh, you have this career now as an analyst. Um, how difficult is it for you? And like, how do you, how do you walk the line of like reminding people that you played in the 1989 final four, you remember the flying Illini, uh, cause you got like two identities, you know what I mean? Like people that are younger, just know you as the guy now on big 10 network. Um, surely you want to remind them, but then you don't want to do it in a way that's like, you know, a little too self-serving. How do you do that, Steven? How do you walk that line? You know, that's a great question. And I think the, the way that I approach it guys is that I'm trying to be authentic. And as authentic as I can be, uh, I might ruffle some feathers. I might say some things that, you know, piss people off. I don't care. Um, <laughs> and if you, if you hear the way I break down stuff and how I say it, it's, I have a, a certain intensity that people will say, wait a minute, let me, let me Google him because this guy uh-huh. seems like he played at some point. Yeah. And then they can find out for themselves. And so I just think that um, whenever I'm calling a game, I'm just trying to be as authentic as possible with my eye and what I see and what I try to share with the audience. And hopefully they pick it up. And Steven, we appreciate you obviously hopping on the program with us. And uh, one of the things we find fascinating, obviously, you know, the two of us, we, we talk about uh, college basketball 24 seven. We talk about um, the bag dropping and the other things, the, the, the things that are not necessarily just college basketball, but we, we talk about the narratives around the game, but you obviously being a former player, there are a lot of people that are not former players that are talking about basketball um, we, we talked one time off air and you said, it's funny. People ask you, how'd you get Kendall Gill on the podcast? You're like, he's my teammate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just called him up and I get him on the podcast. Um, so like, you know, how do you, how do you kind of manage that world? And is, is it funny to you to see how many people want to talk about basketball and be in that space, obviously, because you lived it and you talk about it. So you're on both sides. You know, guys, I think you have a unique perspective because you guys have built up something very special. And so you understand, uh, you know, the, the need for good content for college mm-hmm. basketball content for people to, because people want to talk about, they want to talk about their program. They want to talk about the state of the game. They want to talk about name, image, and likeness. They want to talk about the Zion Williamson thing with Duke. And <laughs> they want to, you know, college basketball fans are some of the most passionate of any sports fans you're going to find. And so, you know, for me, it's just, it, I was a little bit surprised that when I really started to, uh, really ramp up the production on on the show and get people on. How many people want to come on and talk about it? And it's <laughs> it's fascinating to see. And you know, I'm getting people that I didn't even think would come on the show, but they want to talk about it. And um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have live sports. We would be in one of the sweet spots of the college college basketball season coming out of the Final Four and looking forward to the NBA playoffs and 
possibly looking to the college stars that'll get drafted in the NBA. So there's a there's a missing piece. There's a huge missing piece, and it's just fantastic that so many people want to talk about college basketball. It, it, it's absolutely fantastic. You mentioned earlier uh, that you aren't afraid to ruffle feathers. And um, I want to make sure I ask you about this because you and I share a common thing here, Stephen, where we both wrote books about our time playing college basketball, basically. We both wrote about – we both kind of, I don't know, gave people a peek behind the curtain of some uh, some Final Four teams we were on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what's fascinating to me, Stephen, is I wrote – I wrote stories. Uh, so I, I told a story about one teammate who pooped his pants on an elevator. I, I told a story about another teammate who was receiving oral sex in a hotel room when I was in the bed next to him trying to fall asleep. And yet I feel like you got more pushback from your book than I got from mine. How does this happen? How did, how did, how did we get here where, where you became like a lightning rod for when your book came out? You know why? Because I, I think that what happens is when you start to uh, talk about different players and coaches and your my personal relationship with them, it, it ticked people off. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Ken Norman went on the score radio, which is one of the biggest sports talk radio stations in the country and said, you know, if I see Bardo, I'm, I might, you know, beat his ass, <laughs> you know, and it was like, wow. Cause I, 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 I relayed a rumored, a rumor that was prevalent when you were in yeah. school. And yeah. Now you want to kick my ass. And so people get really sensitive about it. And, you know, it was a lightning rod type thing. I rushed the project. I wasn't pleased with it. I've got it edited. I'm about to put it back out okay. um, just because it, they're great stories and people want to see that stuff. And, it, it, you know, if people get ticked off or they don't like it, I don't care. I mean, I, I find it fascinating because like as the as the last dance is going on, right, this is the big thing in, in the basketball world. And we're, we're getting a peek behind the life of Michael Jordan. And you're hearing about these fights that he's having with teammates. And those of us who have played basketball, like it, it's definitely interesting. Anything involving Michael Jordan is interesting. But the idea of two teammates getting into a fight or like two people on a team not getting along for a moment in time, that's not exactly like breaking news, right? Like this is... Right. It's not exactly the biggest deal in the world. Um, but for some reason, people are fascinated by that because you only watch the games, and especially when you're on a successful team. And you obviously wrote about the, the 1989 Flying Illini team, and everyone would just assume, I guess, that you guys won a ton of games. You were in the Final Four. Um, clearly, everyone was best friends. And for you to be like, nah, it's not always like that. I think people are like, well, that can't be true. But you won so much, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that what happens is, guys, that people are fascinated by the chemistry that's involved in a team from the coaches to the players, to the walk-ons, to the managers, there's a chemistry, there's a rhythm. Um, You know, I liken it to jazz music. It's kind of improvisational and you have to always adjust. And what people don't really understand is that basketball players in particular, because this is what I know the best in terms of uh, sports, basketball players in particular are ritualistic people. And so you can have a fight about a girl you know, two starters on the same team. I saw it happen. I was calling the Nevada game uh, with Ramon Sessions and ah, what was the other guard? Shiloh. Ramon <laughs> Sessions and Shiloh, there was something going on that I saw. I said it on the air. After the game, Eric Collins and I go see Mark Fox, the head coach at the time of University of Nevada. And I said, listen, I went on the air and I talked about Ramon Sessions and Shiloh. It looked like they had something going on. And it didn't, it wasn't positive for the team. Mark Fox said, Bardo, you're spot on. 
Uh, they were fighting over the same girlfriend. It bled <laughs> over into practice. It's affecting our games. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. Yep. And so most people, they can't understand how guys can compartmentalize. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't really like this dude, but I need him to win. Mm-hmm. And so we can justify that in our minds like, okay, on the court, this is my man. But when we step off the court, that old, that, that old relationship is still there. And so you know, as a basketball player, man, you're, you're able to compartmentalize a lot of this stuff. And off the court, you may not even want to hang with the dude, but on the court, it looks like you're best of friends. And, you know, championship teams, there's always some kind of struggle. There's some kind of strife. But, you know, that's the beauty of sports is that you have to put those personal things aside for the betterment of the team. And you liken it to jazz and basketball in the same sense it's about tempo. And if you have a, a team that has the right tempo and they're, they're on the same pace and they know how to play with each other, no matter what, no matter if they all live these different lives outside of basketball and they play the game, the game does it justice because they know how to play with one another. And we've seen that work so many different times. But uh, outside of the game of basketball, I have to ask about cultural impact. And, and one of the things about your, your flying Illini team is there, there's a lot of people that argue who brought baggy shorts uh, into, into the ether of college <laughs> basketball. You know, we've seen the Fab Five doc, uh, the Michigan team, Jalen Rose, just like he invented the name Jalen, he also invented baggy shorts. Um, <laughs> So, so do, do, black I know, socks, black, yeah, black shoes. Yeah, like they, they, they invented everything. The they, Fab Five will have you believe that they invented <laughs> basketball itself. <laughs> yeah, the, give, well, the, give, the give and go is the Fab Five as well. There you um, go. Yeah, but when, when you think about baggy shorts, do you claim that? Because I've seen Kendall Gill. He says that you guys started the baggy short trend. Yeah, we did. And, and the thing, <laughs> the funny thing was, man, we were wearing Speedos before that. So <laughs> we thought were baggy shorts were probably normal shorts. And yep. Uh, they weren't as baggy as the Fab Five, but we did start the trend of baggy shorts. Kendall Gill was a Magic uh, uh, Michael Jordan fanatic. Everything he did, he tried to emulate MJ. And so when Jordan had the baggier shorts, he went to Lou Henson uh, before our junior year and convinced Lou that we needed uh, an apparel overhaul. <laughs> and Lou went with it. I couldn't believe it. I don't know. I still don't know what Kendall said. Uh, to Lou, because Lou would always say no, but Kendall got him to say yes, and we came out with baggier shorts than anybody had at that time. And so, you know, we like to credit ourselves with the baggy shorts trend, but, you know, Fab Five, they they seemed a lot more flashy, and it, it seemed a lot yeah. better on them. So we'll let them slide with it. Well, they were they were younger, I think. That was part of it, too, is, like, they had the idea of, like, the freshman. You, who was in your recruiting class at Illinois? You, were, were you the same age as Kendall Gill and Nick Anderson yeah. both? Yeah, yeah. We, we were all came in together. Kendall, so, yeah, when you, when you guys came in together, was that like a – I mean, I assume you guys knew each other coming into Illinois. Was it like – was there like a concentrated thing of like, let's all get together and make this special? Um, or was it like you guys just kind of each individually ended up there um, on your own? Well, a lot of us, fortunately, were able to attend the Nike All-American camp out in Princeton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, you know, back, back then when you go to a national camp, the regional guys would kind of you kind of drift together. You just you would just find yourself around guys that were from the state of Illinois, and so we'd hang out and we talk. And obviously, Marcus Liberty was the number one player in his class. He was a year behind me. Um, I believe Nick Anderson was there, and some other guys were there. And we said it would be all it would be cool if everybody went to Illinois. <laughs> Nobody thought we would, you know, keep the pact. Mm-hmm. But one by one, everybody. Ended up coming to Illinois. Kenny Battle was a year above, uh, in front of us. He spent his freshman year at Northern Illinois University, mm-hmm. transferred in. So he was sitting out the, my freshman year. And so 
we all kind of came at the same time. And, um, you know, it, it was good that everybody decided that Illinois was their best situation because it turned into a special thing. And in, in terms of uh, in this state and college basketball, we, you know, we have legendary status. I mean, that helped me get into the business. I, I don't think that I would be calling college basketball right now if I wasn't on that flying line I team. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the state of Illinois, I mean, Titus and I, we did a series a couple years back, you know, sleeping giants. And we were trying to point to, you know, whether it be places where college basketball is prevalent or basketball, you know, should be a, a stalwart. And we obviously, you know, I've talked about Illinois a lot and Illinois had the, the 2005 year. Titus likes to point out that Illinois should have won that championship as a, as a North Carolina grad. I like to say that's false. And congratulations to Sean May. Um, but aside from all that, uh, being a, a, an Illinois guy, what do, you, what do you think about the program currently? Are you excited about what's going on with Underwood? Because um, it seems like things are starting to turn DePaul is back I don't know if you've heard people think DePaul is back <laughs> uh, it, it seems like the, the state of Illinois basketball seems to be booming again right Sister Jean we have Sister Jean is back Northwestern yeah. <laughs> made the tournament yeah <laughs> yeah it, you know that unfortunately guys the state went through a big time drought after 2005 mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of success um, within the state because SIU has been down Southern Illinois University yeah that's they're starting to write the ship with Brian Mullins coming in as a uh, he was in his first year of head coach. He's turned the program around. They're on an upswing. Um, Illinois State had been a little bit up and down. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit inconsistent. But you mentioned Loyola. You mentioned DePaul getting some great uh, transfers to come in. Uh, Javon Coleman, Liberty, Marcus Liberty's uh, nephew, yep. uh, is transferring to DePaul from Valparaiso. And the University of Illinois program is really doing well under Brad Underwood. I, I think I give that man a lot of credit, guys, because he came in trying to play one system. He saw that it was not going to work in the Big Ten. He altered his system for his um, personnel. And I think that he's doing a fantastic job. He's got the fan base uh, lit again. Uh, <laughs> Big Ten Network was very happy about Illinois uh, turning things around because it, it showed – in ratings and money. <laughs> so, you know, everybody wants the University of Illinois in the Big Ten footprint. They want Illinois to be good because when you have the Chicago market, you've got the largest market outside of New York in the Big Ten footprint to be excited about University of Illinois. So things are definitely on the upswing with Brad Underwood, University of Illinois, and the state of basketball, college basketball in the state of Illinois in general. Uh, one thing that Tate and I like to joke about because it's become sort of a meme with people that follow college basketball is is guys from Chicago who don't go to Illinois. Like this becomes like a big talking point is like, why did Anthony Davis not go to Illinois? And, or Derek Rose. Uh, Derek Rose yeah, and on yeah. down the line. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Chicago is is there and Illinois has, has a, a story program. But then it's sort of like, why don't – why doesn't every kid from – New York go to Syracuse. Exactly. You know, and it's like, <laughs> like it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, but I will say, Stephen, what, what was interesting to me when I was looking up, I was doing some research on the 89, your 89 team. And I think like all of you guys were from Illinois. It looked yeah. like, <laughs> according to the roster, like you're all, maybe not all Chicago. I know you're from Southern Illinois um, yourself, but uh, so my, my question to you is like, how important is that? Do you think for the program of Illinois, maybe not necessarily Chicago, but uh because I'm from Indiana, and, and, and it's a huge deal in Indiana to, like, just basically, if you're coaching in Indiana, you have to lock up the Indiana Mr. Basketball every year. Like, that is a must. It doesn't matter how good he is. It can be <laughs> Jordan Holes, or he can be Greg Oden, or anywhere in between. You have to lock up Mr. Basketball. Um, do you feel like that's, a, that's another sentiment that Illinois shares? Um, yeah, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? 
No, I totally agree because what happens, guys, is a fan base will look back to the most successful team in recent memory. And so you look back to 2005, everybody was from the state except for Darren Williams. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people thought, okay, th- this is our team. There's a, you know, the majority of the guys from the state. You go back to 1989, all of us are from the, from the state. And so I think what happens is the fan bases look back and they say, man, you know, if you can lock down Chicago, you could be a national title contender every year. Well, no doubt. Uh, but, but think about it. <laughs> how, can keep, how can you keep Anthony Davis home? How yeah. can you keep Derrick Rose home? You can't keep uh, or, uh, Jabari Park, Parker, Jalil keep everybody at home. It's just it's not feasible. And here's the thing. Illini fans were pissed when these guys didn't come to Illinois. And I said, guys, was Illinois winning? Mm-hmm. Were, were, were they competing for Big Ten cha- championships? Were they making Final Four runs then? No. Players want to play where they can win. They want to go where they can win. Illinois was not a good destination then because they weren't competing for championships. If, if like, people say, well, why is Derrick Rose going to Memphis? They got to the national championship game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think, and this is going to, you know, the people are going to get pissed at me. We're saying this. I don't <laughs> care. The Illini fan base almost has a little, like a stepbrother syndrome. You know, mm-hmm. like when Bill Self left Illinois and went to Kansas, Illinois fans were like tripping because Self went to Kansas. I'm like, what are y'all looking at? That's Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Like Illinois <laughs> yeah. is a great program. We're probably top 15 in terms of potential, mm-hmm. you know, potential and, and what what's there. But you can't compare Illinois to Kansas. And so a lot of Illinois fans and, and, and the fan base is kind of skewed a little bit in thinking that just because kids play in Chicago – that Mike Krzyzewski, Bill Self, <laughs> John Calipari, some of the best to do it. They want these kids too. Right. And the fact that one gets out or three get out, I don't think there's any shame in that. It's just that's the way it is. But now you're starting to see the Chicago mm-hmm. kids are looking at Illinois again because they're having some success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, as we keep like breaking down the whole, the whole Big Ten, I remember, Steve, one time we were talking or we're texting, and you said that, that all the Big Ten guys from your era, right, you guys still chat with each other. You guys yeah. are like in a big group text. And, you know, Titus and I, we talk about the old Big East. We talk about the rivalries from back then. And, you know, we see some of that stuff talked about in the last dance. We get, you know, the 90s rivalries brought back up. But for the most part, most guys that play the game, there's a fraternity there. There's a friendship there. There's a bond there. Uh, so do you guys watch current basketball in the Big Ten and talk shit and say how bad it is to each other? <laughs> or how does that work? How does it go? Well, i tell you what. We, we A little bit. <laughs> like, good. Like, so here's the thing. Like guys whose programs like Minnesota that haven't been as good as they'd want, they, you know, they, 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 they chirp a little bit. But here's the thing. This past year in the Big Ten, it was a throwback year. There were so many quality big men mm-hmm. in the conference that it was just kind of like, man, you know, you see Garza up against Caleb Wesson. Then you see Daniel Turu go up against Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, every night there was Jalen Smith was Maryland. Was, yeah, yeah. It was, on that list. yeah. It was a quality big in almost every mm-hmm. program. So this year was a little bit of a, an anomaly. But guys have pride, man. You know, you want your you want your teams to do well, and so when uh, like Indiana, Illinois, or Indiana, Iowa match up, mm-hmm. you know, me and uh, uh, BJ or 
or somebody will go back and forth a little bit or, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll mess with Jay Edwards over at Indiana and like, <laughs> yeah, you who's your stink or whatever, you know, <laughs> like that. But guys are just, you know, the Big Ten is a, is a you know, Mark, you understand this. The mm-hmm. Big Ten is special. It's a brotherhood. And if you've come through it, there's a, there's a, there's a camaraderie there. So there's a little, you know, trash talking, but it's, it's never, it's never really um, too negative. It's, it's more in fun. And, and the older we get, the more that we understand how blessed we were to have those opportunities to play at those programs. Well, you know, what's weird, Steven, is I, I swear I talk more to guys that were at Big Ten on Big Ten teams when I was at Ohio State. And I think I do my my old teammates, to be honest with you. Like I talked to Robbie Hummel and and yeah. and Stuart Douglas at, at Michigan. I talked to like all these guys and uh it's weird. Sometimes I don't do a good enough job keeping in touch with my teammates. So yeah, it is like a weird fraternity. How much of that though, Steven, is that the Big Ten, we can't win a national title. This is a frustration. As <laughs> as a Big Ten uh network analyst here, what is your what is your take on this that we've had we're just unlucky, right? Like, because Tate loves to put salt in my wounds at the Big Ten. We can't get over the hump. We've had like seven different runners up. Um, even since since Michigan won in '89, I know that's a sore subject for you, but uh, no, it's not sore. It's not. How many times? Okay, let me, let me, let's let's go visit. How many times have you? Uh, let, let's give 30, let's, thirty years later. You've gotten over it, so that's good. We, let me give a uh, let's give the people the backstory because we have a lot of younger listeners. You guys beat Michigan twice that Spanked year. Them. Yeah. Spanked them. Like Thank like th- three weeks before they beat you in the final four, you you handed it to them in Ann Arbor, yeah. um, and then they beat you in the final four. Uh, and and like how how many times have you rewatched it? And, and why do you say it's not a sore thing? Because I I was on the 07 team at Ohio State. I have not watched a second of the 07 title game. I didn't even play, so I can't imagine being you, like the starting point guard and defensive player of the year and all that. Um, how does this not eat at you all these years later? Well, it took about 27 years to get over it. Okay. So I, yeah. I only watched it once in 27 years. And, and once, you know, you, you start to think about it, and it's like, man, we're coming up on a 30th anniversary. Yeah. And, you know, it was a great season. We had a great run. We left, we left a mark on college basketball. And so I, I've, I've gone back and seen it twice now. I'm on, okay. <laughs> 27, I've only seen it one other time because you look back and – you you are, you guys understand this. You're in that situation. You're so close to what you think is a national championship, and you come up short to a great Michigan team, uh, a team that it, we were surprised to be able to beat twice by double figures in the regular season. And you know, so you you it, it takes a while, man. Kendall, I don't think Kendall's seen it. I know Nick hasn't watched the game because Nick can't get over the fact that uh, Sean Higgins made that play mm-hmm. at the end of the game to beat us. Uh, so you know, you you. Everybody has to deal with it differently. Some need medicinal to, you know, yeah. sit down and try to watch it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's for me, I, I'm exposed to it a lot more because I'm in the business and I get to talk about yeah. it a lot. I, I get to see these guys. I, I see Terry Mills when he calls the radio for Michigan basketball. And so, <laughs> you know, for me, it's more camaraderie than like, oh, man, we should have won that. So it, it, it took a while, though. It took decades to get over that. Uh, but I, I will tell you this, Tate, that in the 2005 National Championship game, Michael Jordan saw me about a month later, and he starts talking smack to me about, oh, yeah, you know, you guys did good, but we're a real, we're a real program. And I said, Mike, let me ask you something. When have you seen a National Championship game where the starting center, James Augustine, fouled out with nine minutes played? <laughs> Michael <laughs> Jordan drops his head. No lie. He <laughs> dropped his head and was thinking. 
for a good 15 to 20 seconds. Because that's every every Carolina fan wants to come back for that. Yeah. <laughs> he, and he, 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 he thought about it. I give Michael credit. He yeah. thought about it. He looked at me and smiled. He said, yeah, but we kicked your ass anyway. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 75-70. That's what I was thinking. It, it's a legitimate thing. So I, I had to throw that in there, Tate. No, you're right. You're right. That was a great game. And then 12 years later against Gonzaga, Zach Collins fouls out against Carolina and plays like seven minutes and gets five fouls. So it's weird. There's a pattern here, Stephen. That's all we're saying. We're not, we're not saying after, that. after Chris Jenkins hit the shot, though, guys. Come on. You know, you, you got to have some, something's good going to happen after, after I wanna, that. I want to talk more about, um, like, we, we brought up the idea of like basketball, rolling your eyes at how college basketball isn't as good as it used to be. Um, so let, let's just do the old man yelling at the cloud thing. You guys, so the flying Illini, because I, I want to I do a little history lesson for the younger listeners, too. Like, you guys dropped 118 on Iowa in 89 <laughs> um, in, in a regulation game. You scored 127 at LSU in a regulation game. These are two teams that made the NCAA tournament. It's almost inconceivable when you watch college basketball now that, they're, that the, you could score 127 points in a game unless you were running, like, Loyola Marymount stuff. Is that what was going on? Like, how do you explain this, Steve? Explain to our younger listeners – we're gonna, you know, they're gonna listen to this. They're gonna go look up some. They probably there might be a lot of people that don't even know about the flying Illini. Are gonna go look it up and be like, oh my god, they did what? Um, how does this happen? How does how do how do you guys score so much? Well, the the game back then was a, a a lot different because it was physical, and but the guys weren't as athletic then as they are now. And so, mm-hmm. what happened was we were just a bunch of gazelles. We were very unusual in that we ranged from six five to six eight. That was, our, that was our roster. We didn't have anybody taller than 6'8". So I'm 6'6". I'm a point guard. Our starting center was 6'7 at Lowell Hamilton. So <laughs> we would switch everything defensively. Yeah. We gave people fits. And we, I think we were top five in the country, I believe, in steals that year. So we got a lot of offense off of our defense. We would press. We'd run and jump. We'd switch. So we got a lot of steals. Then once we would secure the defensive rebound, we were always looking to push. We never, we rarely walked the ball up the floor. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were an up tempo team. We wanted to take advantage of our athleticism, our mismatch at, at positions. And so, you know, you talk about that game at LSU. Uh, that was Chris Jackson, AKA Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Still was, balling. Still balling right team. now. Yep. And he had, think about this. Now you mentioned I'm 6'6, six, six. I'm the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. Kendall Gill is 6'5", was a tremendous defender. We would switch on Chris Jackson. He gave us 29. He <laughs> fouled out with nine minutes left to go in the game. <laughs> we couldn't do anything with that dude. Yeah. Now, he couldn't do anything with us on the other end. Yeah. But we fouled him out. But that that those are the type of games that we'd have. You talked about the Iowa game, 118. I believe we averaged 89 points a game that year. Something crazy. But we were up-tempo, man. And the game back then, people don't understand, the Big Ten Conference in my junior and senior year alone had 17 first- and second-round NBA draft picks. Mm-hmm. That's unheard That's of. Crazy. You don't see That's that crazy. anymore in college basketball. And it's not, it's not college basketball's fault. Mm-hmm. There are 80 players who put their name in the draft the last two seasons that could have come back to college basketball that chose not to. Mm-hmm. So that that's what's really the differentiator, in my opinion, between when we played to the game now, because Nick Anderson left early, but he was a junior. We mm-hmm. he still got two solid years of college basketball in before he left. Now guys get one year and they're gone or two years and they're gone. And so I think that's the major difference 
between the game now and the game then. If the players were to stay longer and be in college basketball, I think the, the level of play would be outstanding. It's outstanding now in my estimation, but it would be even better if those 80 or so kids the last two years would have come back to college basketball. I, I, I think that's definitely uh, uh, the, the, the big thing there. I, I, I've always had this theory, too, that, that um, just w- whenever I go back and watch old games, it, it always stands out to me how you guys would just, like, shoot if you were open. And that sounds yeah. so simple. But, <laughs> like, I swear you watch some college basketball games today and guys will be open. It's almost like they look to the bench, like, am I allowed? I can shoot? Okay, okay I'll shoot. And um, it's like guy, they, they overpass or like, oh, I don't know. It, 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 and, and back then it's like, you just play, you just play, you're open, shoot. If you're not open, pass it, move it, cut, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just wild. It's, it's stunning. Cause I mean, 127 points in a regulation game. Like that, can you imagine a big <laughs> 10 score? Like if, 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 if Illinois versus Iowa was 118 to 100 and whatever right now, you'd be like, what the hell happened? In that game? Yeah. Well, you're like, oh, poor <laughs> Iowa. How many points did they score? 40? That's yeah. terrible. Right. Uh, yeah, so. We also have to point out uh, that you, you guys basically invented small ball on this program. We like to uh, basically, you know, plant flags for, for different organizations. So we'll do another one there. Uh, the, the flying line, I invented small ball uh, and switching, on defense, something that we see now, uh, mm-hmm. basically by every single Duke team that Coach K has in this new era. So that's uh, that's the world. That's great. So, Steven, I, I forgot to ask the question. I, I started down the path. What what's going on with the Big Ten? Why can why can we as a conference not win a national title? Is it just unlucky? Is it just that we're unlucky? That's what I think is going on. Um, I also think that we don't cheat enough, as as like all the SEC and ACC schools do. Um, we we play <laughs> it by the book and 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 aren't bag dropping out there. What are your thoughts? Why, why is it that the Big Ten is not, has, has won one national title since 1989? Uh, you, you, you may have been playing, but you, you, you're kind of accurate in what you're saying. What, what happens is, is if you guys look back on the last, I'll say, 15 to 20 NCAA champions, there are at least two or three future NBA players on that team. Mm-hmm. And so the Big Ten in the last 20 years has not attracted the the – you know, one and done guys like the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC do. And so you're looking at a different caliber of player that has been coming to the Big 10 recently, as opposed to, you know, say 20 years ago. So anytime you win a national championship, if you look back, I'm telling you, there's at least two to three surefire NBA guys, even the Virginia team that, that won in overtime against Texas Tech. They have pros on that team. You have to have guys that can step up and make plays at the end of games because when you're going against a Jay Wright or a Mike Krzyzewski in a uh, NCAA title situation, you're not going to outcoach them. You're not going to, you know, get lucky and, and have something happen. you got to have guys make plays. And I think that, you know, Cassius Winston, to me, was a fantastic NBA or, uh, college guard, but I don't see that transitioning to the next level. It would have been great to see if Michigan State could have broken through this year. I think they were rounding into shape. But when you look at teams like Michigan State, um, you know, take Iowa, for example, Luka Garza was dominant. But would that dominance bleed over into the NCAA tournament? I'm not sure because other teams could have had big athletes that could have maybe stymied uh, Luka Garza a little bit better than what he saw in the Big Ten Conference. So it, it really, guys, it just comes down to former or future NBA players. And if your program has two or three, you have a very good chance of winning a national championship. If your program doesn't, if you've got one or two and you've got some guys that can kind of, you know, uh, 
support those main those star players, then you have a chance. But if you don't have that, you don't have that pro level talent. It's very difficult to win six straight games in NCAA tournament. And we've seen the Big Ten; they've had the chances, you know, recent times. We saw Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, that Michigan State team. That year, Titus and I, we were both high on them, and they have what you're talking about, which is NBA caliber guys with, you know, the, the rotational guys or you know, a Nick Ward type guy, an enforcer type that can come in and maybe you know get a hard foul for you or an and one or whatever it may take in a tournament game. Um, but it still didn't work out. Um, as you sort of, getting upset as I continue to talk about it. Uh, is there, is there any hope though, as we look at next year, like a Luca Garza comes back, he's obviously had a great year, but he has a chip on his shoulder, doesn't win player of the year. Obi Toppin sort of gets those honors. Uh, is there a chance that there, you know, maybe Luca Garza and the big man is back next year in college basketball. Is that the hope? Is that what everyone? It can't be Iowa, Steven. <laughs> Iowa's, not, Iowa's not the national title. Get out of here, Tate. Yeah, I, you That's know, so I, backhanded how he did that. I see how he did that too. He's like, is Iowa the next? Come on, right? Come on. No, I, I think that you know what you're seeing now. Um, one of the things to me, a, a program like Ohio State, program like Indiana, program even like Illinois, to me, when they're rolling, they have a better chance than maybe even Michigan and Michigan State. Now, why do I say that? Because Illinois, when they start winning, you see what Ayo DeSumo has done. Mm -hmm. Then Adam Miller follows. Taylor Horton Tucker should have been wearing an Illinois jersey. Yep. But they couldn't, work, they couldn't work that out. So when you start to see guys like this coming to Illinois, you start to see guys like Trace Jackson Davis go to Indiana. Ohio Romeo Langford go to Indiana. Yeah. Yep. You know, when you – these three programs, in my opinion, when they get rolling, they have even as good of ability as Michigan State or Michigan to draw former NBA players into their program. So I guess what I'm saying is now that Illinois is starting to get better, I think Indiana is on the cusp of starting to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, Ohio State is right there. I think Chris Holtman is one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball from an in-game and recruiting standpoint. So I think the Big Ten is going to be fine in the next three to five years. I'd be very surprised if the conference doesn't have a team that can break through and win a national championship. I really believe that. I, that's that's what I love to hear. Steven, that, stuff like that will keep you coming back <laughs> on the show. You know, you keep saying stuff like that. We'll have you back uh, regularly. Before we let you go, uh, your thoughts on the, the name, image, likeness stuff uh, floating around the NCAA. I mean, um, I don't. I don't even really know how to phrase the question. Just in general, the 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 way college basketball is trending, all this dis discussion, not only about like players getting paid, but um, you know what the G League has going on, and just kind of it feels like we're at just a, a, a turning point in 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 the course of college basketball history, and whether that's good or bad depends on who you ask. So, how do you see it? Well, I see the NCAA needing to reform. I see them needing to be competitive with some of the the competitors in the marketplace. And guys, let's face it, this is capitalism. So the only place in the United States that you'll see people that work their tail off to create millions for a program don't see any direct monetary benefit, right? Mm -hmm. They get scholarship, they get uh, you know food and medical services and academic services, that's all fine and dandy. But if you were to take an engineer and Microsoft or, or Microsoft or Google or somebody comes in and says, you know what? Yeah, you know, after your freshman year, you know, we, you've shown a propensity to do what we want you to do. We're going to give you a four year deal for one hundred twenty five thousand per year. 
and people would be writing about it in Forbes magazine. Mm-hmm. They'd be writing about it. But for some reason, the NCAA, well, I'm not going to say for some reason. We know why. But the NCAA <laughs> sells this amateurism BS, which it is. It's BS. And, and here's the thing. The name, like, the name, image, and likeness requires programs to spend this much additional income. They don't have to pay players. This is All this does is allow pay players to go out and cut their own deals. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The NCAA has put in a rider in the, in the, the bill that right now that says <laughs> that the players can't wear the jersey they can't utilize the name of the school <laughs> mm-hmm. to make money mm-hmm. off their likeness, name, and image. Now, think about that for a second. How greedy do you have to be? <laughs> because let's think about it. There's only going to be, what, two players max, three max per program, top top five, uh, uh, top power five programs. They're going to be able to take advantage of this. It's not a lot of players. Mm-hmm. It's not. It just gives them the opportunity to to be a part of capitalism. So I don't get it, man. And whatever. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just keep talking about it forever. Honestly, honestly, that is such a great that 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 sums up my feelings as well. Just you at the end. It's just like, I mean, it's just like I give up. It's like how many times can you yell about the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We've been here a million times. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. Uh, uh, we we really appreciate you making the time for us. Uh, all all the all the younger people go go look up the nineteen eighty nine flying Illini. I feel like uh, the 05 team. Real quick, how do you how did you feel about the 05 when they were on the run? Was, was be honest, was some small part of you like, man, these fools can't win if we couldn't even win the title? <laughs> like some small no. part of you was like, no. I would. I was the radio analyst for that team, so you know, I I think Illinois lost right at the end of Ohio State, the last regular season game. They lost their only regular season game. I was wanting to go undefeated and win the national championship. All right. All right. All that 2005 team. All right. Well, uh, team. the 05 team tried to, you know, they, they, I feel like history, they, they, they kind of like, you know, overshadowed you guys a little bit. So all the younger people go look up the, the 89 flying Illini and pay them, pay them your respect. So we appreciate it, Steven. My, Thanks, my Steven. pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Anytime. All right, thanks again to Stephen Bardot. Uh, he he mentioned Tate. I don't know if you caught this in passing uh, that that Nick Anderson has not watched the 1989 game against Michigan. He mentioned that that Nick Anderson he, he kind of hinted at it, missed a blockout. That is that is how that. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if our listeners are aware of this. That the way Illinois lost against Michigan in 1989 was basically Michigan threw up a last second shot. Nick Anderson did not block out on the weak side. Michigan got the offensive rebound and put it up kind of at the buzzer for the win uh, and then went on to win the national championship. And part of why I bring that up is between that, between Bardo kind of hinting at that and then me telling the story right now and then the latest episodes of The Last Dance, not a great little stretch here for Nick Anderson. Not a good <laughs> But But, Mark Titus, we have to point out that Nick Anderson did strip Michael Jordan. and uh, He 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 did. Yeah, so in 1995, Nick Anderson was on top of the world. And as someone who was named Anderson, my first name is Anderson. I have to defend all Andersons, including Lee Anderson, who is Zion Williamson's stepfather, (laughs) who got the bag. All right, let's uh, go back to that. All right, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man no uh 
I, I've come around on the last dance. The, I felt like last week I was I was down on it just because I was I wanted to hear more from Bill Winnington. And, <laughs> and when, you, when I, you said to me on the show, Steve Kerr has a really great story. I want to hear more from Steve Kerr. I was like, Mark Titus really wanted to hear more about the '98 Bulls. I did. <laughs> yeah, I know. I legitimately I know. did. They're yes, the yeah. they're the most famous basketball Which is not team. A, other- that's not a bad gripe at all. It's just yeah, like dude. it was just funny because like the way no, you're like, no I just want to does. hear more about yeah. Steve Kerr. I'm like, yeah. I want to hear about Luke Longley, the OG Australian basketball player. I want to hear about yeah. tony kukoc and steve kerr and yeah i don't know you know what i wanted to see i wanted to see vladi divak uh work uh our boy luke longley in that one yeah. game that the we saw we saw two uh the two tip-offs of the 98 series and vladi i'm a huge fan of the uh, opening tips that just go horribly wrong and both guys just start like swiping like a million <laughs> times because they yeah. like miss the first tip and then it like Anytime the guy wins the tip where his feet are actually still on the ground and like his hand is by his shoulder because they've... Then you know it's real bigs. Like those are real big men that are jumping because they're both (laughs) looking at each other like, I really don't want to jump. The other guy's like, don't jump. And then if someone does jump, they're just mad at the other guy. It's like a a big man code. It's like Tim Duncan used to do that. He's just like, all right, dude, just like give me the ball. It is kind of amazing that that's the way you start basketball games and (laughs) no one's ever stopped to think like, is there a better way, I guess? I don't know if there is. Like we just, there's no need to, I guess. Like you don't really, it's not really like it's that big of a problem, but it is kind of funny that it's not typical, very objective either because yeah. like as you know like if you take jump balls like officials are very biased well that's why that's why yeah. that's that's always the reasoning as far as i know because i've asked like guys who are ahead of officiating and all that stuff at the ncaa um why they don't do jump balls like the pros do and the reasoning is always that that officials don't know how to throw it which is hilarious <laughs> to think about they're just like that's why we do the possession arrows because we don't trust that guys can throw a ball straight up in the air, <laughs> but we do trust that they can <laughs> yeah, turn watch, if it feels a blocker in charge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throwing a ball straight up in the air, four feet. Nah, too it's much. a little tough. But, it's a too uh, much coordination there, but let's get them to sprint up the, down the floor <laughs> and then make calls of like, you know, in split as, second time. As two 19 year olds are barreling into each other, <laughs> were his feet planted or not? Uh, and on the line is a national championship. Yes. I, I trust them with that, but charge, yeah, not charge, call um, Teddy. Uh, last dance thoughts though. Last dance is uh, I, I enjoyed it. Now that I've now that I've accepted it as just like the Michael Jordan grudge hour, um, it's it, it is it is awesome to watch. Even though it is blatant propaganda and all all the the criticisms that everyone's throwing around of it, um, I, I share those same thoughts because uh, it is it is kind of it is kind of blatant at this point how how it's how <laughs> just basically like like Gary Payton actually did do a great job guarding Jordan in the finals. And he's he's watching the thing, but because Jordan's reaction he, he, was so he, funny, he basically got laughed off the screen. Is yeah. like Gary Payton is a nobody who yeah. like had like like Gary Payton is called the glove for a reason. He's the yeah. defensive player of the year that year, and like you said, like Michael just, Jordan last in the iPad. And everyone's like Gary Payton, what a loser. Yeah. <laughs> they even say his stats. They're even like Gary Payton gets put on Jordan. Jordan doesn't play well. The Sonics yeah. win. Like they say that. Then Jordan's like, no, nah, that didn't happen. Everyone's yeah. like, all right, I guess it didn't happen. Yeah, they're like, it wouldn't have mattered. Gary Payton's like, it all. Gary really said was like, if I guard him from game one, who knows? Like yeah. Jordan won me too. Yeah. Um, and well, yeah. <laughs> th- this is the, this is the funniest thing that happens with Jordan to me is that like the series should just be called, and that was all I needed because he just says that over and over. He's just like, so I, you know. George Carl didn't didn't say hi to me at dinner, and that was all I needed. I knew I was going to go kick his ass the next mm-hmm. night, you know. But you you and I both know if George Carl comes over and says, "Hey, Mike, what's up?" Jordan would have been like, "So I'm out to dinner," and then the opposing team head coach the night before a game comes over to me and tries to get in my head by saying, "What's up?" And that's all I needed, and I was going to go kick his ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he just he just finds 
anything to to hate everybody and it's hilarious to me because um he, th this is why michael jordan's the best but it's just like you can't win with the guy where it's like if 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 a guy like talks back and stands up to him like bj armstrong your buddy is, yeah, is yeah. talking smack uh after hitting the shot like all michael ever wanted was like guys to not be afraid of him and to be on his level which is why he pushes guys and he's like i'll always respect you if you kind of like you know you're, you don't cower away from whatever <laughs> So BJ hits the shot to beat him, talk, starts talking smack, and then Michael's like, no, you don't disrespect me like that. That's, that's a big no-no. <laughs> you don't do that. And you're like, did you just say that is what you're supposed to do is like not be scared and to talk smack? He's like, yeah, but, you know, he, he took it too far by, you know, I don't know. That, that's just like you can't win with the guy, and that's what makes him him is that no matter what avenue you choose, whether it's like you defer to Mike and you're like, yeah, Mike, you're the best. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're a coward. Don't yeah, ever you're soft. Out. Yeah, you're yeah, soft. Yeah, Don't yeah, ever yeah, bow down to me. Yeah, and then yeah. you're like, all right, well, screw you, Mike. I'm just as good as you. And he's like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, Scott, poor Scott Burrell. He, he's like, you know, <laughs> make a free throw, ho. Like going after him. Like basically saying, like, be tough. Like you should want to be the best. You should want to score 37 points in a game. Um, you like you said, you know, push him to the limit. But then on the other side of that, and what's really funny is like. Uh, BJ told me that story a long time ago because, you know, I remember the Hornets in that series a little bit when I was younger, but he was like, when I hit that shot, I said something to Phil because I knew what they were doing on defense. Like BJ played with the Bulls, so he right. knew what sets they were running. So he was like, he and Del Curry knew the set. So they were basically like making Jordan, he had to pick his poison. It was either he had to collapse, you know, on the drive or he had to, you know, let Del Curry or BJ Armstrong, who were 40% three-point shooters, hit an open shot. So Michael was pissed, obviously, but BJ said it to Phil because he was like, "I basically I got your ass." Um, and Michael, like, this is the thing with Michael: even if it didn't happen, he's going to say that it happened in his mind, right, right. to motivate him to do it, like LeBradford Smith, right? The LeBradford the, the, Smith the, the, thing the, is, it's the perfect example of that. LeBradford Smith. The only reason that Michael Jordan had this uh, reaction and has 36 points in the first half of the next game after he has 37 against Michael and he has a bad game is one because Roy Williams was there in a tacky sweater. And I don't know how Roy Williams is – Roy Williams is always around whatever Michael Jordan's doing. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So he's there in the building. That's a little strange. Michael has a bad game. And, you know, after that happens, Michael is more just intimidated by someone having this ability – and instead of it being a reality like what Bradford Smith did anything to him, he makes right. up in his mind that he did. And then he goes after this guy 150%. LeBradford Smith doesn't know what's going on, really. And, you know, this is, you know, a story of Michael. That's just Michael being Michael. And that is, in and of itself, a, a different breed of character. But it's also, like, not a normal way to behave. And he says in the documentary, he's like, that's, that's my mentality. My mentality was to win at all costs. And, you know, people say that. We hear all the coach speak of, like, win at any cost. Like, this is not win at any cost, but go home and have a good night's rest. This is right. win at any cost. I'm going to film Space Jam. I'm going to play basketball all day. I'm going to invite all these guys out here. They think that they're going to go to L.A. just to, like, hang out with friends. Reality, I'm going to create scrimmages. I'm going to scout them all summer. I'm going to take notes on what they like to do, and then I'm going to use it against them the next year and beat them. Like, what mm -hmm. a maniac. Who does yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. And that's what he's doing, you know? And, but, and, well, and that's, that's kind of crazy. I'll, th I'll say this. Thank God basketball exists because if not, Michael Jordan would be, I mean, like a serial killer. He'd be like, can you imagine like Michael Jordan had like an accounting job and he's the, or, or he was running his own business. He's the type of dude that's like, I, I was walking down the street yes, and I see the guy, I, I sell, I sell kitchen tables for a living. 
and I'm walking down the street. No, and I see let's guy. say Cutco knives. Like he's going saw, to different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm selling knives. He's like, I'm going door to door selling knives. And then I see across the street another guy that sells knives. So I bought his business, fired his entire staff, and and then I ended up just dissolving the business altogether just to prove a point to the guy. And you're like, what? If, if it was any other, <laughs> any other context of basketball, you'd be like, dude, what? Are like, you that's insane? Pretty, like that's that pretty wild, man. Like that's like a next, that's like a next um, step. I also, I want to call out everybody that says, cause one thing that's happening that I'm seeing a lot of is people that are like, man, I thought this documentary was supposed to make MJ look like an asshole. I would love to play for that guy or I would love to be having him as my teammate. That is so much bullshit. Every single person that's saying you would love to play w- with a guy like Michael Jordan, you are so full of shit because it's, it's yeah. all coming from guys that are like, like these, these are people that like their boss asked them to come in on Saturday. And they're like, oh, oh, on a yeah. Saturday? Oh, come on. You know, <laughs> and they're, I'm supposed to believe that you would have loved playing with Michael Jordan when, yeah, he's calling you a hoe because you go 19 yeah. for 20. My, Michael Jordan would have made you cry. Yeah, if you there's said that you, no, you would have you loved to play Michael yeah. Jordan, he would have made you cry. Like even all the guys that are, they're reluctantly, all the guys that are in this documentary that played with him are reluctant when they say they love playing for him. They loved winning. They loved that part of it, but they even, they're like, yeah, I mean, eh. it, it, I mean, and if you ask some of the other guys, like, I mean, there's no, I mean, we just talked to the Stephen Bardot. I mean, the, the, the construct of a team is not everyone's friends. In fact, right. when, Michael, when Michael Jordan got a text from, you know, or a call about Dennis Rodman. Like he didn't want to go talk to Dennis in his yeah, time. You know? He's like, I play basketball with you. Like I don't, I don't want to deal with your shit outside of that. But it's, it's so great. Like the, the people just, people love Michael Jordan. He's such an idol and such an icon that like, that's really what it is. I think if you just said that, if you're just like, listen, I think Jordan is such an icon that just to be in his presence would have been pretty awesome. Um, yeah. I get that part, but like you wouldn't have, no, there's no way you would have wanted to play. I'm the same way. I'm a hypocrite in that way. Like I, when I was growing up, I was like, I would love to play for Bob Knight. I'll still like sometimes say that just cause I, I'll talk out of my ass and I'll be like, yeah, there's one college basketball coach I could have played for. It would have been Bob Knight. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I would have lasted 10 minutes in a Bob Knight practice. I'd be like, tell with this. I'm over this. This is stupid. I don't mm-hmm. want this. Yeah, I, don't want same, this in my life. I mean, it's the same with me and Dean Smith. I mean, my whole life I've been like, I, I don't want to curse ever. I want to be the Dean Smith of however I live my life. But I know if I was in one practice and he made me run suicides, I'd be like, be like fuck this. I'd be out of practice. <laughs> you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And then I'm in NC State, just like that. Like, I don't mean to, I, I, I do want to celebrate Jordan's like, like that mindset is what made him so great. And it's so, yeah. so awesome. And like, you know, I, I don't mean to. Uh, downplay it all but like the, the the reason people think he's an asshole or like feel like that needs to be a discussion um because what happens is a lot of people watch this and they try to emulate that behavior and i think that the important thing to take away from all this is behaving the way michael jordan behaved and having that attitude of like he's cry all these years later 30 years later he's crying as he talks about how competitive he is and like yeah and he, he, he all the all the problems with the teammates whatever it is um all of that is fine and well when you are the greatest player of all time and you back it up like that. Mm-hmm. The problem is so many people watch that and they take that same attitude towards their high school JV team and you're just a huge fight. Like Scott, you're a dick. <laughs> Jason, you're not co- like you're not Michael Jordan. You're just being an asshole to everyone on the team. <laughs> hey, Jake, if you call me a hoe one more time, I swear yeah. to God, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> so it's like it's like been romanticized because it's yeah. Michael Jordan doing it. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God. 
that's so cool that Jordan had that attitude. That, and, and people take that and they're like, we, sh- we could all learn lessons from Michael Jordan. And to that, I say, no, we can't. Do not do this. Do not take, do not, if, if you sell cupcakes for a living, do not take the Michael Jordan approach to life and apply it to your cupcake business. For the love of God, please do not. <laughs> it if is psychotic. Do, it is unhealthy. Do, good luck to the rest of the bakers in town because it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. Yeah. <laughs> The MJ experience. It, it, thank God a, for basketball. Because yeah, thank God for basketball. And thank God for the fact that, like you said, I mean, it obviously, to me, as you know, you get deeper into the vortex of sports, there's like, uh, as you learn more, you, you get more and more cynical about things in general. The only thing that I will say about this documentary is to see Michael Jordan at the end of, like you said, this, this far removed, to see him cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that, and then you know to take a break and everything. And then last night, you know, I'm I'm talking to BJ after the episode, and Michael's texting him, talking shit to him about 1998. <laughs> you know, and it's like, like this guy, like he's he he he's doing the documentary as a li- it's like living art. You know, he's like using it, then he's texting whoever he's like talking shit to in real life about like you see that, yeah, remember that, like take that, and that is it's like another whole game for him. And uh, it's uh, it's wild to witness. Meanwhile, because- like Patrick Beverly is just a loser weirdo who, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, a, a guy funny how that works. Or Draymond Green for, for yeah, like matter, Draymond you know Green. I mean? Like, no one looks at Draymond Green as like love the fire and intensity. You're like Draymond, yeah. get over yourself, dude. What yeah. an asshole. No, what they're a- all like, you're not yeah. Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're doing exactly what he was doing. Um, yeah. So is, uh, yeah, that, that's that's hilarious. Um, the the, the other the last thought I want to ha- uh, share is the. Uh, it makes me nostalgic for a time when, uh, how do I say this? So Jordan leaving to play baseball. Like I saw a lot of, uh, can you imagine if LeBron did that? Like LeBron, like, t- cause for some reason, <laughs> like, thank I, you. I, I want to do a video. Like you remember the leave Brittany alone video? Like I want you and I to do that video, but it's just leave LeBron alone. Leave the, like, Bre- yeah. like, like leave the man alone. Like this, yeah. this guy, he's trying to act like he wants to watch this documentary. We know he doesn't, you know, he's not enjoying this. Documentary. He tweeted. Did you see LeBron tweeted happy mother's day yesterday? <laughs> it was because it was, he knew the last dance was going to air and he knew yeah. he was trying to take the narrative off of the last dance and towards his, Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, though, um, that's what this man has to deal with, unfortunately. No, so people, people were like, basically, just imagine this, everybody, because I, I love this part of it too. Is like, for those of you who weren't around when Jordan left for baseball, just imagine this: what if LeBron James mm-hmm. quit basketball? Wow! And, baseball, and you're like, oh my god, Whoa. I never thought about it. That imagine, <laughs> imagine that's that should be the name of this episode. Imagine that, that, that. But it made me nostalgic because I started thinking about it, and and. Obviously, that would be insane if LeBron did that. If he like decided he wanted to play for the Browns after mm-hmm. they they beat the Warriors or something, uh, and, and you're thinking like, what would possess Michael Jordan to do that? Obviously, they went over like his father being murdered and his love for baseball, and they said he was going to do it anyway, even if his father didn't pass away. Um, but then, but then Jerry Reidsdorf mentioned something that I found fascinating, and he he wasn't making the point that I took, but I still took it nonetheless. He said that they kept paying Jordan's salary, and he yeah. said we still paid him his three million dollars that we owed him at the Bulls. And what stood out to me was that Michael Jordan was only making $3 million playing in the NBA at that time. And it made me nostalgic for a time, Tate, where the NBA, and I think it, I think I figured out like my old man position on the NBA is like, it, it was so much easier back then for guys like Jordan to leave the NBA and play baseball because he was giving up a $3 million a year salary. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Le- like LeBron can't do that now because he's making 40, whatever it is. Like there's too much money at stake. And, and you start like, the same, the same with all these guys. Like, we're never going to see like a do it. Like, Kyler Murray has to choose between football or baseball. 
Mm-hmm. You can't do both. And the reason you can't do both is because the money is so astronomical that you have to do like the economic thought. There's no like, I don't know, it'd just be kind of fun to do both. And that sucks. I miss that. I'm a guy that still, I love guys that play for the love of the game and that idea that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old man in that regard. And I think that's like, I think that's, that's, that's the difference between where guys, the old guys, uh, like complaining about how the NBA back then was so much better than it is now. And it, part of it is that like, they probably did hate each other. Cause like we've talked about this before, like how much do Steph Curry and LeBron really hate each other when they're playing each other in the mm-hmm. finals, they're both looking at each other. Like, dude, we're each making how much we're making like a hundred million this year. Like, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no. Year, you win next year. How about that? Cool. Yeah, and most of your and most of your friends are in the same tax bracket, obviously. Right. If, yeah. If, you, if you're NBA guys, and yeah, like you said, I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf basically said the reason he paid him that salary is because they had made them so much more money than what Michael was being paid, and that's how, like, the the '90s Bulls, that dynasty, the amount of money the NBA was able to make, obviously, laid the infrastructure for what is the the 2017 salary cap bump or whatever spike we want to get the the cap's just going to keep going up forever like it comes from you know the bulls leading into the lakers and these dynasties and and the marketability and all that sort of stuff we always we always talked about you mentioned guys we like that play two sports like a charlie ward will probably never see someone like that again yeah like i mean that 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 even even on down to time i mean that is like the we're we're at the late stage capitalism i guess you could say of the of sports now the specialization of sports everything has to be special every kid gets put on the track because you have to maximize your earning potential at all times and it's just it's just a bummer because like yeah i don't know that's not how it's always been it was always just like it was it always was like because like jordan said it himself even when he was the, the one episode last week where they were talking about like his brand and how he blew up and became and, and Falk was like trying to make him a tennis star or whatever. He said like the basketball was the first. I had to win. I had to be a great basketball player or else all this other never happened. And um, that's how it used to be. It used to be like you just go play. You love playing. It's fun. I've, maybe I'll play baseball. That seems fun. Maybe I'll come back and play basketball. That seems fun. You yeah. do it. And then everyone's like kind of watching. And then eventually you get paid a shit ton of money because you're awesome at it. And now it's like, what could I make a shit ton of money from? Hmm. And I think, I honestly do think, we've talked about this off air, I know a lot. I don't know if we ever really talked about it on air. Yeah. I really do think there are a ton of guys in the NBA, certainly, that don't love basketball. I think there's oh, like an yeah. uptick of that, of guys that like do not love the game of basketball and just do it because you're going to pay me $17 million? All right, I guess I have to. I mean, I could set yeah. my kids, 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 kids up for life. You know, like it's just, I have to do this. Um, where back in the day, guys would have walked away. You're, I'm only I'm only making a million and a half. That's not that much money. Screw that. I quit. I'm going to go sell cupcakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or be a painter or whatever I'm, I'm going to go painter, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to yeah, go do this my own thing. Yeah. yeah, and if you're Michael Porter Jr. and you're 6'9", and even if you – I'm not saying that Michael Porter Jr. doesn't love basketball. Signs point to that he does, but regardless, he has the frame. And Michael Beasley. Gonna, Use Michael Beasley. My, uh, yeah, Michael Beasley maybe, right? So let, yeah. let's just point to him and say maybe Michael Beasley doesn't love basketball as much as, let's say, Kevin Durant, right? So that's a that's a different kind of outlook on the game, and if you're getting paid $15, $20 million up front like in your rookie deal, you're just like, all right, I'm going to cash in, be smart yeah. with my money. And I'm down to chill on the bench and like come in and like get buckets every once in a while. And, you know, I'm going to live my life and basketball's fun and yada, yada, yada. But it, it was funny. Like when we, I mean, I mean, both of us are sort of the same way. Like we play a sport, like I played soccer and then like soccer gets done and then we go straight into basketball. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I had to get my legs from like running on the grass, to, like getting on a court. Like sometimes you get shin splints and everyone had that two week period where it was like, everyone's getting shin splints. Cause we all made the transition right. from playing football or soccer. And now we're playing basketball. And then same thing would happen for basketball. We go from the hardwood, then we're back on 
in a baseball field and we're running back on the grass. And it was just like every season was a different thing. And it was fun to play different sports because it kept your mind off of it. Cody mentioned that the other day when he was a kid. They would play different sports. Their parents made them do that just to keep your mind off. Because I hated baseball. I had to play baseball all the time. I had to play fall ball. I hated so. I had football. I played all, yeah. all through high school. <laughs> yeah. So like whatever sport, like, like, and I was the best at baseball, but like that, I, that yeah. I hated that sport the most. So if I didn't have basketball, I was better soccer, at football. And I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, that's usually what happens. So if you specialize and you hate it, it just, it's like a domino yeah. effect. No, um, you're absolutely right. Dude, if I was coming up right now, I, when I'm in eighth grade and I'm six, four with yeah. a rocket arm, someone's yeah. taking me and they're like, dude, you have to quit basketball. You have to play football. Yep. And it turned you into that way you can maybe get a scholarship to to freaking northern Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, Do you want to be Dan Orlovsky or yeah. not? <laughs> that would have been my life. And I would have been like, I I gotta be honest, guys, I hate every second of this. I and I'm a senior and I don't know what a cover two defense is still. <laughs> well, and that's why you, you I don't back- care to know because like I go to film study and I'm like, this is all stupid. Well, that's why you see college basketball guys where it's like you like you mentioned when you talking we were talking to Bardo and you're like you see guys and they're like they're they're open but they don't shoot but they're looking to pass and looking at the coach. It's because if you don't love the game and you're just trying to basically play out some schemes and plays and things that you've seen like on a big board, it's like a class almost. You're like, I I didn't prepare and I don't I don't don't want to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Like Pass it away. Um, oh man, I don't my, know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I my one final thought. Uh, my one final thought of the last dance uh, before we we do shouts and close out is uh, growing up in North Carolina, and as soon as I got into the world of national media, you and I have been in national media for a long time. When I first got in, I was around a lot of people that were in basketball circles. Um, they all told me that Michael Jordan was suspended for gambling. They mm-hmm. told me I was naive. They told me uh, that I was dumb, um, that all these things would be exposed to me in my lifetime. So uh, just watching the documentary, I know you know we're not taking this as pure fact, but the fact that we got David Stern, the late great David Stern, saying it's utter bullshit to straight to the camera after Which I. Which is exactly what he would say if he was trying to cover it up. But yeah, go ahead. But dude. but but again, but again, <laughs> let's just point this out. This has always been uh, it's been a it's been a yeah. dig to Michael Jordan uh, my entire life that I've always heard. So it was an it was a nice uh, it was a nice little thing. I don't like how they make it seem like people were create like uh, everyone's making it seem like the media was crazy for thinking that might be the case. When really, I mean. The best basketball player of all time is 30 years old and retires right after his dad is like the, the, the circumstances of his dad's murder was, they were wild and random. And like the idea people in general don't like just random things happening. You want yeah, exactly. order. You want explanation. People want an explanation. Yeah. yeah you exactly. want explanation. So yeah. I don't really like, of course they were way off and it, and we know that it's not true and it's unfounded and whatever, but um, I don't know. You can't blame. I don't think I would blame people for like trying to connect the dots because that's it's unprecedented. It's ridiculous that, that the no, a thirty year old, the best player of all time, just walks away from it all to go play baseball is insane. It, it's it's all these years later, it still is like, did that really happen? So yeah. of, of course people were going to question back then. But yeah, you're right. But no, but a lot of people like it, it's the fun. It, we we toe the line, you know, between jokes and the personal life and and uh-huh. all that sort of stuff. But like with Michael, like. He is that was such a real thing that became such a mythology that kind of like, yeah, it, it was such a weird, it was such a weird dig. Like, even I remember like being a North Carolina fan with like NC State fans, you know, they bring up like Michael Jordan's dad, and you're just kind of like, what? Like, well, what, that's like, the what? 
what what is going on here but that was that was a a thing that sort of carried on so it was just good for i know michael has that on it you know on his back for quite some time so it was nice to just see it go I mean, it's 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 like what we we saw a couple episodes ago about the uh, just the price to fame. I guess that's the, yeah. the the flip side of the fame coin is like if you're going to be an icon, a global icon, and have all of these marketing eyeballs on you, new, yeah. new mar- like he, he invented like the signature sneaker in basketball. Basically, he he you know is 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 an icon in and of himself. If you're gonna get all the, if you're gonna draw all those people and say, hey, everybody, please care about me to a level of which you've never cared about an athlete before. Then of course they're going to care about your personal life and about you know some of that other yeah. stuff. That's the flip side of it. That's the downside to fame, which is why I I'm not famous. Me personally, not for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, we're gonna put the we're gonna put the bag on our head like shy one day and just say <laughs> I'm not famous anymore. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then we'll just keep on moving on. That's always the move. That's how you, uh, that's how you trip people up. Uh, can uh, we get should we get a shout out to close? Let's do it. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, my shout out is to the team, the editing team uh, for The Last Dance and the idea, whoever decided, whoever talked to Michael Jordan and said, make sure John Calipari is not in this documentary. Um, that was a genius recruiting move. That was a very uh, nice shot at Kentucky. Um, this is, I, I'm sure Kentucky Sports Radio will probably do something on this, but the fact that Michael Jordan made sure that in that net series, they never once. They never once, yeah. And, and they showed Kerry Kittles, who was a Jordan athlete at one point, like they never showed John Gallagheri. <laughs> um, I thought that was great. So that's a shout out to the, to the editing team. That is fit. Yeah. The, 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 the editing is, yeah. <laughs> you know, coach Cal, you know, coach Cal was ready for, uh, for like that moment to just be like, you know, me versus Jordan, Jordan stares me down and then yeah. completely. Like Cal, yeah. Like Cal was trying to get the Terry Francona treatment where, yeah. Oh my God. I totally forgot that he, I also coach. Guy, Michael. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then like Cal's Twitter feed and Instagram for the next four days is like, here's a picture of me and Michael from yeah. back in the day. And then yep. yeah, on and on. And then, and then he starts talking about Michael's career at Kentucky. When when I coached Michael Jordan at Kentucky, he used to always say, <laughs> like, what? I don't think that's true. And you're like, yeah, I coached him three years before Derrick Rose came to Lexington when I coached him. And all the kids on, on all, the, all the kids on Instagram are like liking he put on their yeah. stories. It's like a picture of Michael Jordan, like the 23 Kentucky dunking. <laughs> when Michael Jordan and Marcus Camby were on my UMass 80, team. Uh, 87. Yeah, <laughs> like, what? That can't be true, can it? Um Speaking of shout outs from last dance, shout out to Doug Gottlieb, Tate, who uh, was vindicated for the, uh, sh- the backward shorts. Backward yeah. shorts. Um, Michael Jordan wore shorts backwards. No one said anything. How come when Doug Gottlieb does it, he gets ridiculed for it? Answer me that, Tate. You can't. You know, it's it's just not it's not fair. I was this close to tweeting that out at Doug when it happened. I was like really big for Doug Gottlieb, but then I was like, do I really want to like deal with this right now? And I didn't. So I just I just passed on it. So I'm glad you gave him a shout out there. That was nice. Thanks, Doug. Shout out to Doug. Uh, I also want to shout out the NCAA. They have revised the net rankings. Uh, you'll remember the net rankings as the uh, <laughs> the Ohio State Buckeyes are always number one in the net rankings yes. at some point every season, and then by the end of the season, we are not. But um, the net rankings are the metric that are used. Uh, they, they threw out the RPI. They replaced them with the net. Um, the net has been revised yet again, Tate. Scoring margin no longer matters. Going into next season, how much you win by – like there, there, will no, there will be no st- style points in the net ranking. Uh, nor does winning percentage. So, like, just just the idea that you are what is the net? What does the net take into account? So here's what the net takes into account is adjusted net efficiency. So I don't know if okay. it's like <laughs> the net of the net. Okay. The net. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's uppercase or lowercase net. Wow. That's a uh, <laughs> the amount of swishes. They're like, all right, wet. Yes, yes, swish. Yes. Uh, and the team value index. 
otherwise known as the TVI. So the, the NET looks at the TVI and what the TVI uses is such, such, uh, you know, metrics as the net ranking and <laughs> I, look, I'm kidding. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm literally, I cannot wait until one day you say, well, they're looking at the TVI and then I can say, well, I'm looking at TVT, TV Teddy <laughs> and TV Teddy's telling me that they ain't got a shot. Oh my God. This is, this is, this is kind of good for us because I think uh, the more convoluted all this stuff gets, yeah, they no. actually simplified it because they, they actually got rid of a few things, but then in, in getting rid of them, they drew to my attention that this thing called the team value index exists. Exists, yes. I had no idea is, what that is. The yeah. team value index exists within the the net, whatever the hell the net stands for anymore. I forgot yeah. at this point. Um, so it's just, it's just like a <laughs> Russian nesting doll of metrics. Uh, and it, it, the good thing for us is that I think there's like, we're, we're, we've reached a point where there's now a market in just like explaining shit to people Yes, from the NCAA office, just taking NCAA press releases. Is that Jay Billish's brand? I think it might be. <laughs> Maybe that's what my brand needs to become. It's just yes. like, all right, so here's the deal with the notice of allegations. We don't know. All right, so here's the deal. <laughs> yeah, let, let, why don't we just start a series? We'll just do here's the deal, and we'll just give you topics and, and just say here, here's the deal. I don't, know. We don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on there. What's the deal? I don't know. I don't know. Eh, my bad. Sorry about that. I don't <laughs> so, know. Anyway, net ranking next year. <laughs> uh, one thing we do know, scoring margin doesn't matter, and winning percentage doesn't. What the hell does matter? No one knows, but uh, mm -hmm. those no two things knows. don't matter anymore. So shout out to NCAA. Shout out simplifying to the, this. Thank you. Thank you to the NCAA. Uh, shout out to everyone that wants to see the NCAA go down. I mm -hmm. like you said, we, we talked about all the people that, that are over it. I'm past it. I don't care. These kids should get Steven Bardo was like, ah, but whatever. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Like we're we're all whatever on the thing. But shout out to the the people, you know, the Wetzels of the world um, that are in the grind, that are willing to read all these reports. I mean, the amount of legal reports that these reporters have had to read over the past mm -hmm. few years to get nothing from it. It must be draining. It must be hard. It must be arduous. We appreciate it here at Titus and Tate. So thank you for uh, doing all that because we need we need content and topic yeah, points. We do. So thank you. Uh, my last shout out, shout out to the NBA who uh, might be coming back, might not be coming back. <laughs> we don't know yet. But um, they had a call on Friday. They said, here's what we know. We don't know anything, but we might. If we do come back, we could announce it in June. It could be as late as that, or it could be later, or it might not come back, or they might not ever play again who knows but just wanted to put out that announcement we don't know it, make, it makes me think of jamie fox playing tony blair in a Chappelle show skit where he goes we don't know <laughs> you know and, and literally that is i feel like there's like a board of governors of people right now where we just like cut to them and it's like someone says something that is definitive we cut to them and they go we don't we know. don't it's, it's like the pope it's like re-electing the or, or electing a new pope right and you yeah, just with the smoke wait yeah. for the smoke every day. <laughs> How great is that smoke? Yeah, everyone's everyone's pointing towards. Where's the NBA headquarters? Is it Secaucus or is that just the? Yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, well, that's where the officials go. That's, that's where, where the officials are. That's where they review. Well, we'll say Secaucus. That's where everyone's looking. <laughs> All eyes are in Secaucus, New Jersey, as they are waiting for the smoke to come out. Yeah, and it's just like old basketball guys smoking cigars, watching <laughs> yeah. the Last Dance, talking about how great Jordan is. <laughs> like, man, I love Jordan. <laughs> <laughs>
And we don't know yet. But, uh, we'll, <laughs> we don't we'll, know. We'll, we'll tune in tomorrow and, and figure it out. Uh, anything else? Is that it? I think that's it. And that's we'll it. be back All later right. in the week. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, the full breakdown. We have to remind people again. This show, all the talk about Zion, it was all in imagination land. Yeah, our Just lawyers, imagine. Our yes, lawyers yes. are uh, knocking on our doors. They're breaking quarantine. They're saying they're saying imagination <laughs> land. So just remember, uh, during that conversation, we were in Dick Vitale's imagination land. 